service. What is up, listeners? Welcome back to another episode of the Full Service Podcast. I am Tank Smith, your host. Today is episode 76. Thanks for being here. Shout out to my guest from last week, Parker Westwood. Parker, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. That was a lot of fun. Listeners, if you have not yet, check out last week's episode. Make sure you are following Parker. She is on Twitter at Parker underscore Westwood. Make sure you are subscribed to her podcast, The Sex Worker's Guide to the Galaxy. You can find them on Twitter at SexyGalaxyPod. I have a link to her website, OnlyFans, Twitter, Instagram, Twitter for the podcast, Answer Detroit, in the show notes from last week. Hit those show notes. Show her some love. As always, you can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, at FullServicePod. I am at TankFunkadelic. If you enjoy the show, make sure you are subscribed on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Hit that subscribe button, that like button. You'll be alerted as soon as those new episodes drop. We just uh, joined a few new platforms. I think like Amazon Music and Audible, Radio Public, and a couple others within the past like month or so. So if you are coming from there, first time listener, maybe second time, third time, fucking welcome back. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. If you're listening, if you have an iPhone, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to hit us with a five-star rating. If you write a review, I will read it on the podcast. It doesn't even have to be good. I will read it. Uh, (laughs) It's my favorite thing. I love reading reviews of the podcast. (laughs) I'm like, people are listening. (laughs) But no, hell yeah. If you could do that, that'd that'd help us out. Ratings and reviews help help the podcast so much for visibility. So uh, if you could do that. Love you for I'll send you a sticker. Let me know, and uh, I'd be happy to send you a full service podcast sticker. Let's let's make it happen. <laughs> so we launched Patreon for the podcast in November of last year, and basically Patreon it's a place where you can hear like exclusive episodes that you cannot hear on the main feed. It's a good way to support the show. We have at least one Patreon exclusive episode each month. Our February Patreon exclusive episode dropped on Friday. So if you want to hear that, one of the best episodes, I will say, that I feel like, you know, I've ever recorded for the podcast. So I mentioned it on, I guess, in a couple interviews and maybe like some solo episodes if you listen to those. But I was I was basically in a relationship uh, from like May until like January with a sex worker. We recently broke up and before we broke up, we kind of talked about maybe like doing a Patreon episode where we like talk about our relationship, dating and stuff like that. And uh, that never happened. And when we broke up, I asked her, I was like, hey, would you want to like record an episode, you know, where we like talk about our relationship, dating and sex work, kind of like what we've like been through together. And uh, she was like, yeah. So we sat down, we recorded um, a couple weeks ago. Great conversation. Like, honestly, like I said, like it's to me, one of the, one of the best episodes, you know, we've ever recorded. We talk about like our relationship. We like went on like tour together. Basically we talk about that, uh, like surviving the pandemic. And, uh, so if you want to hear that fucking Patreon, uh, Patreon, such a good way to support the show, patreon.com slash full service pod. Like I said, we have at least one Patreon exclusive episode each month. Hey, check it out. It's a, it's a good time over on Patreon today. Episode 76. What are we doing? I plan to do a solo episode this week and I don't know. I feel like I couldn't. 
I've I've done epi- I've done I've definitely recorded solo episodes. You've probably heard them where I basically ramble about nothing. You know, it's it's feel like it's been a while since I've done that. But uh, where <laughs> I like I feel like I don't know what to talk about, and then I'm just like end up like reading something or just like ramble about nothing, and I'm like I don't want to fucking do that to you. You know, I want to if if you're taking the time to listen to the podcast, I want you to enjoy it. I want it to be worth your time, and I want it to like you know to yeah you enjoy the podcast. And the last solo episode I did, uh, at the end, I played an interview from Margot St. James, who was a sex worker, sex worker rights activist, feminist that recently passed away in January. And at the end of that uh, episode, I think it was, if this is 76, that would have been 73. I played an interview from her from 19, I believe 1985. And if you've not listened to it, fucking such a good interview. And so what I wanted to do instead of playing, you know, another like me interviewing anybody, um, we'll be back to that next week or like a solo episode where I got to talk about different shit. I was like, let me play another Margot St. James interview. Um, So that's what I'm going to do. This one is from 1973. She was interviewed by Jan Legnito. So. What I'm going to do, I'm going to play this interview. It's, uh, I think it's maybe like 35-ish minutes or so. But uh, it's crazy just to hear like something that was recorded like 48 years ago. And, you know, she's saying a lot of the same things that people are saying now about sex work. And, you know, it's crazy to see how much has changed and what, you know, still needs to be changed. And so I think I think you'll really enjoy it. If you like fucking, I like history, you know, I like here in the past and especially something like I looked on the, uh, like the web, I, I was able to license this from the same people that licensed the uh, last interview, Radio Pacifica Archives in uh, North Hollywood. Shout out to Sean, bro, hooking that up. But, you know, I like here in the past and, you know, I think there's something that not many people have heard. So I'm like, fucking let's put it on the podcast, you know, even though it's not me interviewing anybody, it's still good to hear fucking history you know that's how i feel and uh you can be like god damn it take why are you doing this fucking you know there's lots of other episodes go listen to another one or like come back next week this is a good i think this is a good interview and you know i, I think people should fucking hear it so i'm gonna put on the goddamn podcast hey uh <laughs> but yo i appreciate you being here i'm uh that's pretty much it like i don't like that's that's all i really wanted to say um, check out this interview from Margot St. James, 1973, which is the year that she founded Coyote, which was like basically her sex worker rights organization that fought for like medical care and rights for sex workers. So this is at the beginning, the come up, you know, so this is an intro and outro all in one today. I'm not even going to hit you on the other side. If you enjoy the show, I just plugged all the social media, plug Patreon, Subscribe to the podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, fucking tell somebody about it, you know? Tell somebody you like. Tell somebody you don't like. Tell somebody you don't know that well. Maybe we'll be bonded through this thing called the Full Surface Podcast, you know? <laughs> Make a new friend. Tell somebody about something, you know? But, uh, hey, I appreciate you being here. We'll be back next Tuesday. I got an interview for you. Super excited. Um, am I going to tell you? No, I'm not. Because, uh... <laughs> I like to keep the suspense up, you know, and also I'm not quite sure, but you know, I I think I know who it's going to (laughs) be, but yeah, I appreciate you being here. We'll be back on Tuesday. I hope everything's all, all right, wherever you're at. I'll have some links in the show notes again to the, uh, GoFundMe mutual aid 
for sex workers in Detroit, as well as a fundraiser for people in all New Orleans. Yo, hit the show notes, click the links, and uh, if you can donate, that'd be dope. If you cannot, I completely understand. Uh, but yo, we'll be back. I'll see you later. Thanks, Smith. Today I'll be speaking with Margo St. James, who's a San Francisco prostitute and who has founded a prostitute's action group called Coyote to fight the one-sided prostitution laws which punish prostitutes but not their male customers. What gave you the idea to start a group like this? I've uh, felt that the, the discriminatory enforcement was a waste of people's time and money and, and very detrimental to the women themselves, and that the excessive punishment tends to blur the distinction in their minds between performing a service and uh, committing an actual crime. Seventy percent of the women in jail today in this country were first arrested for prostitution. Now, when a woman's charged with, with a sex crime like that, it's a stigma that lasts her lifetime and it makes her unemployable. People don't think whores can do anything else but sell it. And uh, I find that the women generally are uh, ambitious, clever, intelligent, uh, gregarious, usually like people in the beginning anyway, and that the profession itself does not is not abusive. It's the illegality that heaps abuse on the women and that the humiliation and degradation uh, is dealt to them at, at the hands of the police. You favor decriminalization as opposed to legalization of prostitution, and perhaps you could explain that. Well, the legalizing of this profession would be merely condoning it and would, would not remove the exploitive uh, elements of the current policies. It would do nothing toward removing the stigma against woman's sexuality. It would make Ronnie Regan the pimp, and I don't think he'd make a very good one. And I want to see all sexual acts between consenting adults taken out of the realm of criminality altogether. It's a personal thing. It should not be governed by the state prostitutes should not be stamped on anyone's passport, nor should they have to pay exorbitant fees in order to be licensed, nor should they be subjected to humiliating uh, compulsory health checks. The women in the business are, are uh, very well aware of their bodies. They're immensely concerned with keeping clean. It's bad business if they aren't the national statistics for VD among prostitutes by the HEW uh, is a mere three to five percent, which is much lower than the general public. The high VD rate uh, in this country is in an age group that does not patronize prostitutes, the age group of 15 to 30. If we're going to quarantine anybody for having an infectious venereal disease, then we should start in the high schools because they have about a 70% rate and that's due to ignorance, lack of sexual education, and increased promiscuity.
it's uh, it's silly to go around blaming whores for VD. And until we stop doing that and face the real issue, we're not going to do anything about the current ep epidemic. The most frequent arguments used by law enforcement officials generally against prostitution is that there are many related crimes that are committed along with prostitution. Jennifer James did a study in Seattle and found that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the excessive punishment uh, promotes these uh, related crimes. It encourages the women to uh, steal, thinking that the man won't report it. And it works vice versa. The customer is encouraged to brutalize and rob the women, and other people are encouraged to rip her off. And in fact, Jennifer found that the women are ripped off and brutalized about five times as much as any customer. The laws, current laws, are set up to protect the customers. The customers actually can go to the police and complain. In the San Francisco Crime Commission report, 1969, $145,000 was reported recycled by these women. But you know, if that's if that's a valid figure, then uh, how much were, were the women ripped off? The women cannot go to the police. They have no protection other than their man. That the illegality promotes the need for a pimp. You talk about prostitution giving you the freedom and independence that you probably otherwise would not have been able to achieve. But there's probably a considerable amount of difference between call girls and women who work for pimps, and because I think the the pimping system has been considered one of the most sexist. Right. Well, the pimp is the symbol of the sexist oppression of women in this country. I think I think that's why he's hated so much by the police. In a in a survey again by Jennifer in Seattle, uh, the police rated the the pimp higher on their priorities of hates, let's say, than an axe murderer or a homosexual, and they're terribly afraid of them. The, uh, the pimp is, is in direct competition with the police, as I see it. They provide protection. They are the man of the street, whereas actually the police, that's his legitimate job, to be the man of the street. The police uh, use this excuse to uh, coerce and, and to abuse their their powers to uh, coerce these women into testifying against their their men. Uh, San Francisco even has has a pimp squad that has concentrated on ju getting just the pimps. In the last two years, they've put away uh, you know around forty pimps, mostly black, and. Uh, I don't see this as a, a viable means to getting rid of prostitution at all. It doesn't get rid of the whores. If it does anything, it allows more of them to come out in the street because there's no pimp out there who's going to tell them to go to work for them. In this society, the, you have to have a man to have status, and on the street that's exaggerated. And you need the threat of a man behind you, unless you're a very strong woman, to carry it off and not get ripped off by the other hustlers out there. Uh, over here in Emeryville and Oakland, there are certain areas that are are worked just by by certain families, and 
in San Francisco where they use uh, a high bail, they don't OR, they don't release the women on their own recognizance until lately they have started. Uh, this forced new women who had been picked up and put in jail and who couldn't get out of jail, who will eventually plead guilty just to get out of jail. Uh, this forces them to go to work for pimps and I'll tell you how that works. The, a woman comes in who has an old man and, and meets some other women in the jail, in the city prison, and says, well, we'll get you out, but you have to go to work for us. Now, that's protecting their investment. Um, so they recruit right out of the city prison, helped along in their activities by the courts and the cops who supposedly are trying to stamp this kind of thing out. Actually, the police are the instrument of the pimp's oppression of women. But the coal girls are not out there. They're not threatened. They have their financial independence and their freedom. And, and uh, most of them are fairly intelligent. And, and there's no need for them to, ha to have to have someone around to talk to lawyers and bail bondsmen. I mean, the, the bondsmen and, and the lawyers are pretty sexist also. And until recently, they wouldn't even talk to a whore. Unless she put up all the money, they wouldn't take her out. And uh, so she had to have a man to take care of business. And in this culture, women aren't taught how to take care of their money. They're taught how to spend it. And they're told from the time they're little that to act sexy and, and uh, be a lady and charge a high price and marriage, you know, and uh, get a man to get the money. Yeah, the New York courts uh, allegedly earn a large percentage of their revenue through releasing prostitutes uh, on the condition that when they come up with the money to pay the fine, they'll pay it, obviously, by acts of prostitution, so that yeah. essentially uh, the hundreds of prostitutes are going through the courts every day in addition to payoffs to the police. There's a really great stereotype in society, which may or may not be true. Prostitute is basically supporting habits of her pimp. Well, that's not true. I mean, that's a myth. There, there's a distinction between a woman who's out there supporting a habit. I mean, what can a woman do? If she's got an expensive habit, what, she's, what is she going to do that gets her the most money in the fastest way? She's going to prostitute. But they're just, the whores differentiate among themselves. Those who are out there because they've got a habit, they don't consider uh, prostitutes and, and professionals, though I mean certainly they are, but they're out there for a, a different reason. The, the women distinguish themselves from these uh, addicts. For the, example, Mayor Lindsay, uh, before his mm -hmm. resignation, was sending hundreds and hundreds of policemen into the Times Square area to clean up prostitution joints, uh, massage parlors, which were fronting for houses of prostitution and so on, uh, the theory being that much of the drug-related crime and the theft in that area was related to prostitution. It seems to be a sort of mother and apple pie argument. In other words, yeah, any political platform requires that you speak out against prostitution, but there's really very little argument to support that it in any way is related to other kinds of crime. No, it's not. And the police, but the police want to hang on to their right to abuse women in this fashion because they get information leading to the arrest of other kinds of crimes. Although, the statistics given us by San Francisco police uh, recently show that even though they are, there's 20 men roaming around in these high crime areas at all times of the day and night looking for whores, 
they only managed to solve a uh, hundred extra crimes. And I think it's uh, illogical for them to try and drive it off the street and then concentrate on the places they've driven it to. Uh, let it exist in the massage parlors. Uh, adult education could be training and people to be masseuses and creating all kinds of jobs for people. Uh, but instead, they have policemen who go into these places, they, they uh, ask for a massage, and then they solicit the woman after she gives them a rub, uh, if she uh, acquiesces, if she accommodates them, then she's arrested. Uh, Is this also true on the street? On the street, it takes, it takes two or three men a couple of hours sometimes to catch one, one woman. The, the cost to the taxpayers uh, of the vice squad you know, enforcing these kinds of sumptuary laws runs over the, the million mark in San Francisco. Just the salaries alone of the policemen come to a quarter of a million. Now this money could be put to much better use. Most of the women are in it because of the money, uh, hard economic hardships. Sometimes the uh, the black women, you know, aren't allowed to work in hotels and massage parlors as much as the whites. So consequently, you get a 60% rate of, of streetwalkers are black, uh, whereas in the call level, it's about 10 or 11%, which is in uh, proportion to the population. The uh, illegality, the sexism, the racism that exists is responsible for for making thieves out of these women. You know, I think that uh, putting them in jail uh, is really, uh, really a, a traumatic, horrible experience for them, no matter how many times they've been in there. Uh, and th they feel ripped off every time. I mean, they, they feel that it's unfair. Do you think that most women who get it into prostitution plan to stay in it? Well, once you've been arrested, there's very little uh, that you can do about getting out of it. And, the you know, social workers burn out in a couple of years. And most prostitutes work for two, three, four, five years, although some women I've known uh, were successful um, companions for men up way up in for their whole life. I know women in their 40s that are supported by men. You basically talk about it as providing a, let's say, a consumer service as opposed to being right. an illegal activity. It's that a luxury. It's a demand and supply business. Assuming that it were decriminalized, would, for example, the price go down? Would it No, be I don't think that has any relationship to it at all. The price is, is determined by the demand and the supply. And, uh, and I to decriminalize it would not encourage all kinds of women to get into it. There are only certain types of women who are suitable Why for do you that say kind that? of work. I mean, you need to have a certain uh, personality to enjoy uh, co uh, contacts with different people. I met a, a shrink the other day who has turned out. She's become a sexual uh, surrogate. She was working as a sexual ther surrogate, but she felt when she was working as a psychologist that um, 
it was really a drain on her that hearing all these problems, she'd much rather just go turn a trick and, and have a pleasurable, courteous relationship with someone instead of having to listen to all kinds of some of these problems and never being able to resolve them in any way, shape, or form. People who don't object to the decriminalization or legalization of prostitution on legal grounds often object to it on moral grounds. That you're basically taking um, what's supposed to be an intimate human act and turning it into a, a commodity like, uh, you know, a can of soup. Well, I mean, if you if this culture is going to value virginity, and uh, and think that you know only and divide women into two groups, whores and madonnas, and there's a certain group of good women, there's got to be a certain group of bad women to take care of man's desires. I mean, his desires are legitimate. Women's aren't. Women aren't even supposed to have those kinds of desires. So this is uh, why it exists. I think that it would phase out in two or three generations if, if we were granted equality, if we had equal pay and equal opportunity. Women would soon be, uh, I see the demand growing all the time, women want to have the, the right to hire someone to do them so that, uh, lots of times women involved with men romantically won't correct the man's technique and uh, so they're continually subjected to bad sex a lot of women get into the business after experiencing a lot of bad sex and decide to start charging for it and finally get something out of it but it's been traditionally you know a lack of communication between the sexes about especially women's sexuality and we're just beginning to get the word out what we like and uh, men have been kept in the dark they really a lot of them don't have a clue most customers start off I think with the uh, feeling that they don't have much time they want a convenient interlude they want friendship they want a courteous relationship some of them want romance some of them need women to work with them uh, to promote their business. Some of them like to go to a whorehouse in groups as sort of a form of entertainment. And uh, some of them have little secret fetishes they want satisfied that they would not want to ask their wife for. And lots of people over 40, not in this area specifically, but in lots of parts of this country, don't participate in oral sex. And they, they wouldn't ask their wife to participate in it. The, but they go to a hooker to get that kind of thing done or to do it to the hooker, and that's a very uh, frequent occurrence. Lots of times if a man has enough money and enough time, he'll want two women at once, and that do, I think, to uh, takes the pressure off him to perform, plus uh, he, uh, he gets to see what, what they really like. It's illuminating. Most women will perform a double with other women uh, in the business and not think of it as a homosexual act at all. It's an erotic experience and it's done for pay. I found that uh, maybe about 10% of the women in the business are lesbian. And, and in fact, some of these women, once they started getting money for the sex from men, uh, that it changed their outlook toward men. They're, they were much more courteous and, and uh, compassionate toward the men <laughs> once they were getting paid for it. Uh, 
but as far as changing any personal and private sexual habits, uh, the business doesn't seem to affect it, uh, that at all. The, the, the women compartmentalize quite effectively. I think right now in this country, probably the most organized establishment cover for prostitution uh, is massage salons, certainly in New York City. By the admission of a number of women who work in them who mm. I interviewed, there's one legit massage parlor mm. in the city, and yet they continue under the guise of, of legitimate businesses and mm -hmm. do very well. Now there's legislation proposed in a number of cities across the United States which would require masseuse to get licenses and pay a certain amount of money for those licenses. This is an obvious economic bias uh, mm. in the direction of people who choose to ignore prostitution but only allow women who can pay the price to, to practice as right. prostitutes. That's right. It's, uh, I don't want to see them fingerprinted and, and uh, mugged either, mug, mug shots. Uh, I would rather see them accept it as it is, although if the integration into the experience industry is not all bad. I'd <coughs> to have it as a, you know, strict sexual for m sex for money exchange uh, is one thing, but I, and I like the massage thing, at least they're getting a lot of strokes on other parts of their body and their sexuality isn't necessarily so genitally oriented. I think this is good. I would like to see the women trained a little more in how to do massage. If they're actually going to be licensed, I think they should be also schooled. But as you say, a, a minority woman or someone who is poor it, can't afford the couple hundred bucks for the course, um, although some places allow you to work and then pay on a time basis. Uh, but it needs to be that prostitution involved in the massage parlors needs to be accepted. And uh, here, I think only about 40% of the women I've talked to will do anything extra. Now, it's, and maybe another 40% of them are just too frightened to do it, you know, too paranoid, don't know if the customer's a, a policeman or not. Many of the women will will become friendly if the man comes back several times and she gets to know him. And you talk about uh, fear of being arrested. What about the repercussions that you've experienced as a result of your work to organize prostitutes? Uh, I have not have had no bad feedback from anyone, and the pimps I know think I'm doing a great job and and helping them. I've helped a couple of them get out of jail. And uh, I don't feel that it's a society's business what a woman does with her money any more than, than what a husband does with his money. And so he gives his check to his wife. Nobody says anything about it. And I feel that it's her personal choice. And uh, the illegality, as I said again, promotes this relationship with someone who may or may not be exploitive. Many pimps I know are getting out of the flashy role and getting more into being like madams themselves. And New York has several what they call black madams, and these are black men who run houses. The, uh, the guys on the street, the, I mean, the, there's a small number of, of pimps who are mean, but there's a 
I think, a larger number of suburban husbands who beat their wives. So you don't see that primarily as a role of exploitation of prostitutes? Well, no, because she's willingly giving him the money. Her man is her status symbol. Is that really true, though? I understand in a number of cases you have no choice but to work for a pimp if you're working on the street or you will be well, out of business very fast. That If you choose to work on that street and it happens to be his street, then you better, you know, work it out. Uh, that's what the illegality creates that atmosphere and, and uh, makes it necessary, unless you're a very strong person, to work with other people. Do you think that the feminist movement, as it has affected uh, primarily women's values about sex and about independence and so on, has affected the majority of women's attitudes about prostitution? Because I certainly don't feel that. I, th I think a lot of them uh, feel uh, titillated by prostitution, and a lot of them would like to turn that one trick just to see what it's like. Uh, I recommend women turning a trick to see what it's like. They do it subtly, you know, for a dinner or for a trip or whatever. I told Gail Sheehy that I felt her description of women was, was a superficial, stereotypical uh, presentation and that she really ought to turn a trick to get, get into the trip a little bit. She has a very strong police bias in her book, and she worked out of the precinct and got most of her information from the police regarding these women, even though the police were for legalizing or whatever, and, and uh, the police, I know, are very uh, like their jobs. You know, They like the socializing with these women because these women are honest, I mean, straightforward. They can tell jokes. They don't have to act like proper little mama's boys in front of them. and. Uh, they can relax, and, and consequently, eight policemen on San Francisco police force are married to hookers, ex-hookers, and that would speak highly of, of uh, a woman who knows the score and understands and has a high level of compassion and so forth. Now, the police that are on the vice squad are also a victim. There's three victims in this crime. There's a woman who's definitely a victim at the hands of the police and oftentimes the customer, and sometimes the pimp. Uh, and then there's the customer who's ripped off, and he's certainly a victim. Then there's the cop. The cop is lying to these women on a very intimate level. And I wonder, you know, uh, how is that man's relationship to other women affected by this false participatory role that he plays in, in the line of duty. Personally, I've seen several men who working, let's say, in this line of work for more than six months, and these men are generally religious and idealistic, become corrupt and or sadistic. They have the opportunity to take money or sex from the women, or both. Some policemen uh, re are reported to be pimps themselves in San Francisco. And I've seen the evidence of their brutality and sadism. Some women will carry permanent scars 
from their uh, in, encounters with these police. You mentioned Gail Sheehy's uh, journalistic pieces on prostitution earlier, and I think that they're a fairly excellent example of what I consider to be the pandering to sensationalistic trips about prostitutes. A large number of articles in New York about uh, the life of one prostitute or under a sort of liberal radical guise of, of uh, solid muckraking journalism. You get a lot of pieces which are basically uh, what I would call yellow journalism, mm -hmm. and trying to sell a lot of uh, right. a lot of newspapers or a lot of magazines right. and really done very little in the direction of decriminalization or legalization of prostitution. I think generally tend to reinforce this, the stereotypes which exist about prostitutes. Getting back to how most women in this country feel about prostitution, I think it's safe to say that clerical or secretarial jobs which pay very low amounts of money are considered far more preferable by most women than work as a prostitute. I know many secretaries who moonlight on the weekends and I know many of them that I've met in, in women's groups who feel that what they're doing, kissing ass all week, eight hours a day, is more of a prostitution to them than if they were, were uh, having uh, sexual relationships a couple of times a week, you know. You're basically still talking about uh, something which persists in our society, about an attitude, about a certain kind of activity, mm -hmm. which for one reason or another has been singled out, for example. Mm -hmm. I think you've mentioned that you might be interested in running for a political office, and yet it's considered far more acceptable in this society to have mafia associations, organized crime associations, but I think it would be very difficult to be elected, particularly if you were a prostitute yourself. It still reflects a particular attitude in which sex is isolated as a human activity. Mm. I have found that the climate and environment is uh, uh, super pro for prostitutes. In fact, I received a call this morning inquiring if I'd be interested in running for Congress. What do you think your chances would be of getting elected? It would depend if uh, I think they'd be excellent in the light of the present government. I mean, how dare this government and its agencies call anyone a whore and much less arrest them for it? How dare they? Let's get some honest, amateur people in there who we can trust. Maybe we can talk a little bit about Coyote, which is yeah. the organization you formed to organize for rights for prostitutes. I noticed that the constituency is largely composed of people who aren't prostitutes. Does this speak at all to fear that women have uh, being identified as member of an organization? Yes, like yes. They're very paranoid about that and they want to retain their anonymity and they feel uh, they want to help. But some of them are even afraid to call me on the phone. Uh, however, when they're in trouble, they call. And the ACLU and the Barristers Club and many other groups are uh, working very hard at getting it decriminalized. And, and right now we're doing the citation thing in San Francisco and attempting to get citations issued for victimless crimes, including prostitution. We had our hearing yesterday where Jennifer James testified, and, and it was magnificent. The place was packed, and at the end, uh, everyone cheered. It's uh, 
Coyote has done a lot in the last nine months to educate the public about sexuality and about prostitutes nationwide. With this kind of support, what do you think the possibility is of decriminalizing prostitution, say, in the next two or three years? I think it's a definite possibility and a probability. And I would have liked to see 74 the year of the whore. I would like to see an initiative on the ballot this year, but it doesn't look like people have gotten sufficiently organized or inspired to do it. It'll probably, and that means we'll have to wait until 76. But initiative is only one way to do it, and it's a lot of hard work. Now, this year would be the great year to do it because we could just form a coalition with the marijuana people and have their people get our initiative signed too. In fact, a lot of their people are getting requests from their signees and people who won't sign theirs would sign mine. But as I say, we didn't get organized and so we're looking more toward doing it legislatively and, and Willie Brown has said he'd be more than willing to help draft something and put it up before the legislature. And I think with the current trends, uh, if they develop, continue developing the way they have been, that that's more than likely a possibility this year. A lot of the women are, are demanding jury trials now, and the Public Defender's Office in San Francisco is really doing a fabulous job. There are about four or five people on there who are uh, willing to try the cases and are doing excellent jobs on them. We got an acquittal last week. But and the San Francisco juries uh, are turning out pretty well. And uh, in fact, it's hard to get enough people to say that they will enforce that law to make up a jury. Uh, I would like to, to uh, say to the public that if you do feel that these laws are unjust, then it is your duty to get on that jury and hang it up and refuse to enforce them and let those women go. Do you think that jury selection with respect to prostitution has uh, been stacked in such a way as to work against them in the past? Well, there are a lot of old people in there, but then the other day there were a lot of young, there were three young women on the jury too, and the reason they voted for acquittal was that it could just as easily have been them. The police are, are so frantic to uh, justify their wages and keep up their, especially now that's the end of the fiscal year and they want to jack up their arrest and conviction uh, statistics, that if you are in a certain area of San Francisco, say from California to Market, from Powell to Van Ness, and it's after dark and it's dark at five o'clock, and if you, a nice young man walks up to you and says, you know, feel like a drink, and if you are friendly and agree to go for a drink with him, you might be just find your way, uh, find yourself on the way to jail and charged with prostitution. And they charge you with anywhere from two to four charges, which coerces you into cooperating with the plea bargaining system. That means plead out in order to get out, and uh, it's like Agnew, you know. And I think that is despicable. It's a terrible system, and it really denies people their rights. And women are going around officially labeled when they are totally innocent. Five innocent women came to me last month, and out of those five, three of them got convicted. And I think it's horrendous, and it's time the public did something. I've been speaking with Margot St. James, 
who's a prostitute and the founder of Coyote, an organization to help organize prostitutes. This is Jan Lignito.